Happy Easter, everybody. So this right here is the newest person I know. She has been on this earth for just five months. So think back to what you were doing in December. She was taking her first breath of air ever in December. She was seeing the sunlight for the very first time. Her name is Sydney, and she's the daughter of my friends Eva and Evan. That's Evan, her dad, holding her right there. And it made me so happy the day that I got to meet her. She is this tiny little beautiful lump of giggles and grabby hands And all you have to do to get squeals of laughter out of Sydney, like screaming laughter, is go from really far away to really near. That's it. Far to near. That is her whole situation right now. She loves it. And she looks so sweet in that photo with her dad holding her. But there's another picture of Sydney that you might get a sense of her different side. Another side to her. Eva and Evan, her parents, live in Memphis. They were coming to Philadelphia to visit for a conference that Eva was presenting in. And everybody told them this is the perfect time to travel with a baby, right? Before they can walk, they're too little to know what's going on. It'll be easy, right? Not so, apparently, for Sydney. The plane ride, Eva told me, was a complete nightmare. She screamed her head off for three hours straight, angry glares coming in from every direction of the other passengers on that plane. She wouldn't get to sleep in the hotel room no matter what her parents did. She didn't like being in a different place. So by the time Eva came down to the hotel lobby to meet me on the day that we'd planned to get together, she was covered in spit up. Her hair was not washed. Her eyes were about this wide. And she said, we can't go back up there. (laughs) Please, can we get a drink? (laughs) It turns out we really couldn't go back up there because, as Eva explained to me over a glass of hotel lobby wine, Sydney just had a diaper blowout all over the hotel bed sheets. It's a crime scene, she said. God bless Evan. He's, he's doing his best right now. <laughs> and he's going to text us when it's not a biohazard anymore, and then we'll go upstairs and you can meet her. And once we finally got the all-clear text message, we stood together waiting for the elevator, and my sweet, lovely friend Eva, sweet new mom Eva, turned to me with this worn-out, kind face and said, Thank you. I'm sorry my baby's being such an asshole. <laughs> Now, of course, Eva had nothing to thank me or apologize for. And I want to be clear, Eva is a loving, wonderful mother. (laughs) But she was actually demonstrating one of the key things that makes someone a loving and wonderful caregiver. What the psychologist Gretchen Schmelzer calls the survivability of the parent. Caring for a helpless infant 24 hours a day and seven days a week is hard. And when a caregiver shows that they can survive that challenge, they're not just cleaning up the poop and the mess. 
they're also teaching their child something important about their worth, about their inherent belovedness. Dr. Gretchen says a new parent keeps showing up, just trying to make things a little bit better in each moment for their baby. They feed the baby, they clean up after the baby, they rock the baby, they help the baby get to sleep. They make mistakes all the time, and they repair them, but they are there. Over and over, endlessly, they are there. And this endless thereness, this endless thereness with repair after repair, this is what creates a basic trust in the child of their own worthiness, their belovedness. Even when the child is being an asshole or just being needy or cranky or is really struggling, which happens to all of us big kids from time to time. We are designed to learn from our earliest moments that we are worthy recipients of an unending cycle of love. In our message series this spring, here at Wellsprings, we've been exploring our collective sense of calling, of who our community is called to be in this world. The things that point our direction, our DNA, which is right there on the back of your order of service, the map for our identity. And the first belief that we list to define us is our belief in original blessing. That the very nature of this life is a gift. And that we all show up from day one, worthy and whole, treasured, inherently beloved, before we ever open our eyes or take our first breath. In retrospect, this week as I was preparing to preach for you all, I started to regret choosing this topic for Easter Sunday because I realized the more I thought about it, the Easter story that most of us know that Loy talked about earlier is predicated on the opposite idea, the idea of original sin that we are inheritors of an innate brokenness, that only Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and resurrection on Easter Sunday can fix. And that's a story that you will hear in most Christian churches today. But this is a Unitarian Universalist community. And diverse interpretations of Christian stories is kind of our thing. It's kind of how the Unitarians and the Universalists got their start. By taking a look at their own hearts, their own conscience, by connecting with the world and their experiences around them, and by letting those ancient stories speak in the moment, not only according to one interpretation, but making space for a diversity just like you can with any set of ancient stories, any set of scriptures, and any religious tradition, 
make room for a diversity of how things are emphasized or minimized. And the core of our story as Unitarian Universalists is that we are born whole in God's image. Born of and connected forever to a source of love that is present all throughout our lives. But throughout our lives, we get broken. All of us. Whether through our own choices or our circumstances, or at some point for all of us, probably a combination of both. We fragment and we crack. We get beat up or torn down. And our good news is that we never, through all of that, lose our connection to that source that is the greatest power in the universe. That capital L, love. That love that doesn't show up through one particular man alone, or even through one particular teacher or prophet or set of stories, but through all kinds of people in our lives. A love that gets in there with us in the cracks and the blowouts and all of the broken places and sticks with us. A love that offers us opportunities to mend all along the way. I find it so fascinating and beautiful as I went back through each of the Gospels this week and read the stories of the resurrection and what happened after that in each of the Gospels, all throughout the Christian New Testament, they all emphasize one thing about what happened after the resurrection, which is that Jesus showed up in disguise. Now, I don't mean he had one of those sets of glasses with a silly mustache and a fake nose, right? No, but Jesus showed up to his friends after the resurrection in other people. Mary Magdalene was the first person to see Jesus when she went to the tomb. And she thought he was the gardener. It says that in the New Testament. Over and over again, there are these stories about Simon Peter and Nathaniel and the disciples in the fishing boat all encountering their resurrected friend but failing to recognize him at first. Or doubting, unsure that they even saw him at all. But then they'd hear a particular phrase or be offered something in a particular kind of way. And they'd suddenly say, oh, Jesus, Rabbi, teacher, Lord, it's you. They'd recognize their friend who loved them. It's such a cool thing to me that the Bible leaves this mystery around this, right? Never totally explains how is it that Jesus is apparently fully resurrected in body, right? According to the story with his scars still intact even, but is also now a shapeshifter maybe? Like, is it a Marvel movie trailer? What's going on? If Jesus has the power to perform miracles and defeat death, I feel like he could have shown up however he wanted to. And he chose to take on all these different forms as he appeared to the people he loved. He chose to show up as other people. 
as his friends were broken and hurting. As they missed their beloved teacher, their Lord, their God. God came back to them in the faces and the bodies of strangers. What a beautiful way to mend what was hurting in them. Maybe to give them faith that even though something truly horrible had happened, that he had been betrayed and murdered and was gone, that they would still have opportunities to see him in new ways and to mend and be loved all along the way. My home church in Washington, D.C., the place where I became a Unitarian Universalist, it's called All Souls Church. It is a huge, beautiful wedding cake of a church, seats like 1,200 people, so like a whole other length beyond this room. There's balconies on all sides and a big organ in the back. It's this gorgeous, enormous, cavernous space. And my favorite thing to see at church on Sundays there was when they would do a child dedication. When a new baby was born or adopted into one of the families in the church, my pastor, the Reverend Rob Hardy's, I totally stole this from him, by the way, he would take the baby in his arms at the beginning of the child dedication and walk all throughout that center aisle of the church. It is such a thing to see 1,000, 1,200 adults leaning over balconies craning their necks all to see this one little tiny infant. After he told everyone the child's name, he would say, it is our faith that this child is one more potential redeemer. What an audacious thing. What a beautiful thing to call out in a new baby to wonder out loud, to plant the seed also in the heads of all of those adults craning their necks. How might this child repair the world? This baby, this stranger, one more potential redeemer among us. I think it is so powerful and it rings so true for us because we know that we have all met redeemers in our lives. At some point, we have met people who have called us back to our original blessedness and belovedness. People who had a high rate of survivability for our crap. People who helped to mend our broken places. Maybe take a moment Perhaps even close your eyes if it helps you think. And just think to yourself, ask yourself, who has shown up as a redeemer in my life? What real flesh and blood human being has at some point brought me back to knowing myself as whole and beloved when I really wasn't so sure anymore? I know for me that when I call those people into my heart and into my mind, sometimes so much emotion 
swells up in me that it doesn't feel like an exaggeration at all to say that they saved me. I wonder sometimes if that's exactly how the people who knew Jesus felt. You can open your eyes now. There's so much in our world today that's hurting, that is crying out to be redeemed. We woke up to another one this morning. The news of awful, devastating attacks and bombings in Sri Lanka that killed hundreds. We wake up to news like that every day. We can use all the redeemers and menders and healers that we can get. There's one right there. (laughs) The Reverend Laura Everett is a pastor in the United Church of Christ. She's the executive director of the Massachusetts Council of Churches also. And she says that one of the most powerful things for her about the resurrection story is that that fact that in the story, Jesus rose with his scars still intact. She says, "To, to me, that suggests that God isn't only interested in fixing things up, but also that God actually wants us to show our wounds and our healed places to each other. Maybe to remind each other that we're all eventually going to be in need of mending and that we are all worthy of mending. And she recognizes, she said, that mending is kind of a tough sell in our world these days when so much is disposable and very easily replaceable which is why she has started a practice, taking that little detail in the resurrection story to heart. She's found her own way to incorporate what she calls visible mending into her own life. I'm learning to repair, she says, as a spiritual practice. Stitch by stitch, I'm darning socks, I'm re-soling shoes, My teachers, she says, are YouTube videos. God bless YouTube. Vintage pamphlets that I find at yard sales and in used bookstores. And octogenarian church ladies. But mostly I've just learned by the practice of doing it. I'm aware, she says, that socks are cheap. And that Amazon could deliver almost anything I need to my door with a robot right in two days or less. And she says, sometimes I do find a garment that wasn't well made to begin with and is prone to tearing. But this practice has helped me learn to look so much more carefully than I ever would before. Now, she says, when something is broken or torn, I hold it in my hands and I always try to ask, what does this item mean to me? Is it worth fixing? Since I started the practice, She says, a strange thing has happened. I find myself asking that same question about bigger things, about relationships in my life, about my city, my church, my country. Before any stitch is sewn or any patch is prepared, I have to ask myself, is this thing in my hands worth repairing? And when I answer yes, The mending becomes more than just fixing the item. It's an act of devotion. Maybe in the end, more than any one technique or method, 
more than any one teacher or path or prayer. Maybe it is the choice of devotion itself that saves us. The love that we are always connected to and that shows up in so many different forms, but never lets us go. Devotion is certainly what I see saving this place behind me. It's the inside of the Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris. Many of you know that it caught fire on Monday. A devastating fire. All the more devastating because the Notre Dame has stood in that spot since the 12th century. Eight hundred years. That's more than 30 generations of people. When we talk about eternal life and eternal things, this is one of the places you can go to kind of be as close as we can get to that sense of eternity. And maybe that's why the devotion to this place mirrors its survivability, its long life. Because in just the minutes and hours after that fire, while the cathedral was still burning, hundreds of people gathered spontaneously on the streets of Paris to sing. They sung Ave Maria. They sung ancient French hymns. They sung hymns in Latin, the same songs that people 30 generations before sung inside those walls. The chords and the voices reverberating up to its impossibly high ceilings and vibrating all throughout its hallways and spaces. The devotion was so palpable. People I knew, friends of mine, who had no connection to the Notre Dame, who had never been there, were moved to tears watching those videos of people singing as all of these people seemed to be gathering and holding something fragile and damaged in their hands. Their answer to, is this worth repairing, was a clear, sung out, yes. Those people who came into your mind and your hearts a few minutes back, They answered yes to you. When you were hurting and torn apart, they answered yes. That you were worth repairing. They saw the original belovedness and blessing that was placed in you right from the moment of your birth. That blessing is still here. May we remember those moments when we feel, again, fragmented or torn apart. And may we consider the possibility that we could choose to make our scars visible to our friends. To remind ourselves that we can all be menders with and for each other. And that that just might be our salvation. Amen. And may you live in blessing. I invite you to join me in the spirit of prayer. God of our hearts. 
presence that has gone by so many names to so many different people since the beginning of recorded time. On this day, when we gather to celebrate rebirth, when we see the whole world around us shining that truth back to us, the new buds on the trees and the green shoots coming up out of the mud, may we find the moments in our lives to notice that and to rest in the grace of this life. The gift of being alive every single morning with every day new. The gift of knowing that we have constant opportunities in our lives to reconnect, to love, and to heal whatever may be broken and hurting in our lives and in our world. May we find glimpses of that grace wherever we go and rejoice And be glad in it. For these prayers I've spoken and the prayers that each of these people is carrying on their hearts this morning. We say amen.